<laughs> while we were worshipping, while the kids were making their, their noise. As recently, our friendship group and a handful of others watched the movie um, Jesus Revolution. Has anyone seen it? Yeah, like it's just, a, it really is a brilliant movie. And I'm in the front and I'm worshipping away and then I can hear the kids in the background and sometimes they were on beat and other times they weren't and I was thinking, geez, I wish their parents would really give them a timing lesson because no one else thought that. I know it was just me, right? Yeah, okay. So there I am struggling in, in the real space of what? That's so cool. That's so lovely. They're putting me off at the same time. I'm trying to worship. I'm trying to have my time. Anyone else experience that? It could just be me. I just could be airing my stuff, right? Yet, then I, as I'm having these thoughts, because you know how they happen in a, in a second? You have like, what feels like you have like a, a, almost a month's worth of conversation with the Lord, but it happens in a, in, a, in a fleeting second. And then God reminded me of that movie. And he reminded me when... The, the, the main character approaches the pastor and starts bringing his hippie friends into church, start bringing his hippie friends to a place that other churches didn't want them. In fact, people within the church were so put off by these hippies because they were so different, they were loud, they sat on the floor instead of the seats, they didn't wear shoes, so you got to see their skanky nails, all that sort of stuff, right? But this pastor allowed it to happen and he had a moment where he just said, you know what, this is your home. This is where you're safe. This is where, if you've got other friends like you, you go and get them. And because the door there is always open, it swings both ways, just come. And then he looks to the rest of the church and I guess if you're uncomfortable with that, the door swings both ways. And some people got up and left. So God reminds me of that in that fleeting second. And I just wonder, as much as part of me goes, man, I want the worship to be so reverent, can't, don't people understand that? Can't they control their children, their shouts, so we can be reverent? And in the same breath, I have this, your family life church. There's other places out there that don't like the noise. But if you'll accept the noise, I'll bring more. And I just wonder, as I was having a moment, whether that just speaks into our future. Yeah? And so if you've had some of the same struggle I've had, that's okay. I've noticed as I get older, this particular noise that does my head in and I need it to stop. Whereas before, I was quite happy to have lots of noise, a cacophony of it from everywhere. But now it's like, hey, even Sam, turn down the speaker. Turn it down, down, no, down. No, I can still hear it, down. <laughs> so I just wonder. I just, I just pose that because as Roz so beautifully put and as the scripture reads, in Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. That was a joyful noise, yeah? Serve the Lord with gladness. I loved, 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 loved that Malcolm just started whistling. Serve the Lord with gladness, yeah? 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he that's made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And it goes on for that last verse. Hey, can we be a church that continues, even in some of our old age, to struggle with some noise? Can we continue to embrace the noise? Because just maybe God's creating a space and, and a church experience that will last with our children into their children, that will last through their peer pressure, where they can always say, you know what, I have such fond memories of my church family. I have such a beautiful relationship with my Lord. I just met him. I remember when I was four, when I was five, when I was six. Yeah? Just a thought. That's for free. Praise God. Thank you, Vicky, for not starting the time. Let's pray. <laughs> we'll get into a sermon before the AGM. Father, have your way today. Make it clear. If it needs to be brief, make it brief. If it needs to be challenging, make it challenging. Lord, whatever you have destined for this moment in time, Lord, may it be. So use me, your servant, as you've used our worshippers, as you've used our greeters and our ushers. I pray, God, that the words I speak will be yours. Lord, that your message would be heard, that we would walk away more like your son, Jesus. And we love you with all our hearts. And Everybody said, Amen. Praise God. So, the songs today really led exceptionally. I thought there was a gas release. I had to move away just in case. <laughs> Can't say that in church. Too late, I did, and I'm streaming. Isn't it lovely? That no matter what we go through in life, like anything, seriously anything, think of anything, Jesus is there. Like he's just always there. Whatever we're going through, help is always at hand. You and I have the propensity and often we run in every direction except to the Lord when stuff's going down, when we're falling apart, when things are struggle. But... It's awesome for me, and I think for you, just to know that whenever we choose to run to him, he actually never turns away. He never turns away. He's faithful. The minute we decide to run to him, he's already jumping the fence and running towards us. And so we're going to jump into 1 Samuel 6 and continue. And it's kind of a strange story because... A couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at chapter 5 where Dagon, the vegetarian and um, seed god in front of our god, fell. Well, sorry, vegetarians. Anyway, where he fell, and I'll keep mentioning that because it's just, it's just fun. Because right? really, you just forgive me. <laughs> But Dagon had fallen, and we saw the power of God at work, and I actually think we're going to see the power of God at work here as well if we make the right decision. So anyway, 1 Samuel 6, from verse 1. When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory seven months, 
The Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, diviners, and said, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. They answered, If you, this is the Philistines answering, If you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a gift offering to him. Then you will be healed and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. Then you will be healed. (laughs) Isn't it interesting, just, just in that part there alone, that these people that we literally, we call them the Philistines, and it's a word that we use, you know, to, to say some, a people group are not quite right, they're bad, they're uncouth, they're, they're uncivilised, you know, you're Philistines. I, I don't know if any of you, maybe you're too young to have used it in that context. But isn't it interesting that even they knew that they had a problem and that their guilt needed to be forgiven, that their guilt needed to be atoned for you know give a gift send a guilt offering then you'll be healed then you you'll know why his hands not lift even they knew that and i'd suggest in fact that even those that are outside of here not in church anywhere not believers it just in the community yeah all over the world those that resist the ways of god those that don't, don't believe in him, those that would even take to shouting in streets against the ways of God, I actually believe deep down God has given everybody a conscience that they know within themselves when they go to bed at night that they will never be right, they will never be satisfied until they are in right relationship with God. I believe that. Men and women, actually, I believe they know. Verse 4, the Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumours. I want to know how they even know what the shape of a tumour is because I'm pretty sure that from one tumour to the next, they're different, you know, just a thought. But five gold tumours and five gold rats. Just quietly, if I was a god and someone sent me, even if it was gold, tumours and rats, I don't think I'd be appeased, right? Anyway, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers, make models of the tumours and the rats that are destroying the country and give glory to Israel's God, perhaps. He will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. And I don't want to spend a lot of time around the tumours and rats thing, but this is obviously, from the Philistine perspective, it is a made-up religion. We're going to give an offering in the shape of a tumour and a rat. They are are grappling, they're grabbing at straws in the hope of finding an answer, a way out. Because I think mankind in general will do just about anything that they can to get out of the crosshairs of God. (laughs) Praise God for you and I, though, that he gave us a way for our sins to be forgiven, to be atoned for, and that was Jesus. Yeah, amen? The blood, Jesus, Jesus, the only way. It's Jesus, Jesus that that saves, amen? And then we get to verse 6, and this is an interesting reference to, I guess the foundational story in the Bible, the founding nation, the covenant language, and it reads, Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians 
And Pharaoh did. When Israel's God dealt harshly with them, did they not send the Israelites out so that they could go on their way? Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows. Again, they're making stuff up as they go along that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take the calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord, put it on the cart, and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you're sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, in other words, if these cows turn this way, then we'll know that it was not his hand that struck us, but that it happened to us by chance. Right? So they did this. They took two such cows, hitched them to the cart, penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart, and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh. So these must be smart cows, right? Keeping on the road and lowing all the way. I'm assuming lowing means mooing. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley. And when they looked up and when they saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. Whoops. Come back. Thank you. The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned the same day to Ekron. Verse 17, these are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord, one each for Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their country villages. The large rock on which the Levites set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Verse 19 is very interesting. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Now we're talking about the Israelites, the children of God, putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Shouldn't they have known better? Wasn't it their own people that when the ark went to fall, when it was being taken, they went to stop it falling and as they touched it, dropped to the ground and died? Didn't they know that it was holy? Like, shouldn't they have known that it was holy? Why did they think that they could now look inside it? Let's ask probably a, a more pertinent question. Why did they think they could do what they wanted and do it their own way? It's like they've forgotten that God was holy. It's like they were making it up as I go along. And I actually want to suggest, I think sometimes we make stuff up in our faith as we go along, forgetting that God, though he's our friend and we live in a dispensation of grace, that he is still holy. Yeah? We try it our way instead of his way. He's our friend for sure, 100%. And when we're having those intimate times, that's exactly who he is. But let us not forget 
I might be a friend to my son, but I'm still his father. We may be a friend to God, but he's still our Lord and our King. Yeah, Just a thought. And so the people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go from here? Verse 21, Then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. And so here you have the ark that had been captured by the Philistines. Yeah, They thought they had victory. Verse, I guess, chapter 5. It was going so well. But then, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, they put the ark in front of Dagon, the Philistine god in the Philistine temple, and it comes crashing down. So they pick him up, stand him up again, and then the next morning he's fallen down again, but this time his head's off and his arms are off as well. They're broken. I think you and I, particularly in the season that we live in, What's going on in the world today? We need to know this truth and declare it for our own lives. This simple truth, the Lord God is almighty. That Jesus, Jesus saves. That he alone is the only way. That is a sermon for today. Full stop, close the doors, go home, have the AGM. That should be enough for us to go, you know what? Amen. What a great reminder. It's Jesus that saves. I've been so complaining this week because I went and got petrol. It was so expensive. But you know what? Jesus. And then I was, this was going on with my kids. And then, but it was, and it's Jesus. And then I got and my uncle and my auntie and then someone died. But Jesus, we always have Jesus to fall back on. Always. Like that is enough. That, that is enough. That is enough. Like that, that is enough. Amen. Yeah. Amen for that. That is enough. Because Dagon is just a figment of a man-made false imagination that has no power. And it's true that with idols, they can have power over us if we give them control. And in fact, it could even become demonic if we allow it. But we have to agree, and you need to agree with me, that idols are nothing. And there is only one God to be praised. Jesus, Jesus. He's the only way. Yeah? What a perfect song for today. Like, you know, I realise we live in an exceptionally idolatrous culture. Like, we just do. Even though you may think we don't, I believe we do. But false gods are forbidden. False gods try to steal away what, what can only belong to God. You and I, we were called to worship we were called to love him, to exalt him. Let's not allow a false imagined God to take hold of our heart, whatever that idol might be for you or for you. Yeah? You know, sometimes we come to church with tears in our eyes. Sometimes we come with complacency, but regardless, with everything that's going on around us in our world today, in our culture, let's make sure that we have put Jesus Christ first. Amen? You know, there are two questions that are asked in this passage. And the first question from the Philistines in verse 2, it reads, The Philistines called for the priests. And is it diviners, diviners? How do you pronounce it? Diviners. It, just, it reminds me of the band. Yes, the diviners. Anyway, so the diviners and, and said, What shall we do? <laughs> oh, 
I went to that old that song. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? I'm not going to sing it. Get out of my head, June. Get out of my head. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? I don't know if you can tell, but can you see the problem with this question? Can you, can you see the problem with this mindset? They can only see the ark of the Lord through their pagan, their non-Israelite, their, non, their non-Christian eyes, so to speak. What shall we do with it? What shall we do with it? And that problem exists in Christianity today when we can only see the power of God through the lenses of our sometimes really small world. With us at the centre of everything, yeah? With you and I in the middle of things, with our limited perspective, but we've got to understand and have a vision of the greatness of God today. It's so much bigger and it's he's more than us you know i want to keep it as simple as i can today particularly with the culture and the world that we live in you and i we need god you need god i've got all 10 fingers pointing at you for those at home you need god if i could turn them back i would i need god we need god our nation needs god our community needs god our churches need God. Our families need God. You and I, we need God, full stop. I'd love to hear someone say, no, I don't. It's because you won't hear it in church. But everyone says, no, I don't. But then there's areas of their life where they don't want God. They need God, but I don't want God here. I need God, but don't look at my giving. I need God, but don't look at my drug taking. I need God, but don't look at my drinking. I need God, but don't look at where I'm angry. I need God, but the the jealousy, it's because I love my wife. We need God, but sometimes they're just areas of our life that we don't want God. (laughs) Yet, if we were on a mission, if we were out evangelising, if we were treasure hunting, we know, we so know that we need God front and centre. He needs to be there. We need to hear his voice to be able to do what he's called us to do. And here's the thing about God. It's so simple. He's holy and powerful. He's wholly powerful, but he's holy and powerful. Yeah? The Philistines are asking the question, what shall we do with the ark? And how can things be better for us? They're saying, how can we get back to the way life was? How how can we get back to the old times before the ark was here and all this affliction came? How, How can we get things nice and easy for us? But see, they weren't asking the right question. They weren't asking the right question, the most important one, because the right question is this, how can I be in a right relationship with God? That's what they should have been asking. Yet it seems to be a question that the Israelites were aware of because in verse 20 it reads, And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? In other words, what do I have to do to be right so I can stand there? Yeah? They seem to get it. To whom will the ark go up from here? The Philistines, are, they're asking a pagan, non-faith-based question. What are we going to do with the ark? But the Israelites knew there was something deeper. How can we be right with God? How can we experience the presence of God? 
Isn't that exactly the same as what happens today in the world? Because that question, how are we going to deal with the ark? What are we going to do with it compared to how can we be right with God? It's no different to how do we fit God into our lives compared to how do we fit our lives into God? Because it seems that even Christians today are trying their best to fit God into their life. You've got to smile when I say something like that. It's like the smiling assassin, isn't it? Because the reality is we shouldn't be fitting God into our life. We should be fitting our life into God. That needs to be our heart's response when life is giving us lemons. Not the lemons from the farm. They're good lemons. As good as a bit of fruit can be. My wife loves it. I don't get it. Give me something sweet. Give me a mandarin. Actually, we should do a poll, just quickly. Hands up if it's mandarin. Hands up if it's mandarin. If you're a mandarin person, put your hand up. If you're a mandarin person, put your hand up. All right, I feel justified at last. Thank you. For those at home, if you went the other way, I'm sorry we didn't see it, doesn't count. So, all right, just a lot to ask. Because while, while we were talking about lemons and mandarins, I'm going, oh, it's mandarins. All the ethnics I know, we call them mandarins. Anyway, it's not my message. It matters not. How can we be right with God? How can we experience the presence of God? You know, let me say this about the whole rat thing, the whole tumour thing that they made. They made, they did, they made something, but we can't. Make God in a image. We can't make God in our image. That's not how it works. Because I think sometimes, particularly today, we try to make God in our image. I really feel that's what happens so often among so many Christians. And again, it's not criticism, it's commentary. And sometimes it feels like the younger they are, the more prone they are to do that. Because it seems the older we are, the more fundamental we are when it comes to the things of God. But we can't shape God the way we want him to be because God is God and he's holy. And yet there are so many today that try to shape God to fit into their choice of lifestyle. They, they try to fit God into what they believe is right and wrong instead of realising that God's right is right even if we think it's wrong. Say that three times fast. <laughs> God's holy and his measure of right and wrong will be far deeper and greater than ours will ever be. That's, that's why when it comes to giving, I don't think, I don't, I don't have to think. I know God's spoken it, so for me it's just right. So do I struggle with those that don't give? I don't struggle with that. I just like, how can you not see that? How can you not capture that God is a generous God and he wants us to be generous as well? It's amazing these days that people, they even invent liturgies. They invent worship ceremonies. They, they somehow are trying to reshape God and Christian truth. And it's almost like they're trying to make God human. And not human, not like Jesus was human, but human according to our favourite sin. 
let's change the liturgy. Let's just change the sacrament. Let's change stuff. And, and let's say maybe, I don't know, let's, let's include all the sin. And, and so that way we can just reshape God to be nice and neat and fit, fit with what we want him to do. Do you know sometimes even spiritual people can be tempted to shape God into our own image? But today, 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 there's the... <laughs> but today, let's declare together, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, he's the only way. Jesus, Jesus saves. Let's go a little bit deeper. That God, and it actually fits in the lyrics, where's Lockie? That God is the plotter and we are the clay. Yeah, does that fit? Jesus, Jesus saves. That God is the potter and we are the clay. Yeah, it sort of, it does, sort of. Yeah, I can get that to fit. It needs a little bit of work and tweaking, maybe some drums behind it. But God is the potter, we're the clay. We don't shape God. He shapes us. So then I love to say this, you are exactly as you should be. You are created as you are because God made you that way. And then if things come against your life, if God starts to work and challenge and prune and cut, he's just finishing off what he started. He's not being mean. He's got a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us, and it's for good. It's to prosper. Stop fighting against him and trying to shape him into our own life. Amen? Let's make sure we center everything around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To a non-believer, God is the clay. Hear me. To the non-believer, to the non-believer, no, to the non-believer, God is the clay. Because no believer is going to try to shape God to fit their lifestyle or their new thoughts and ideas and opinions. They can't understand why we can't just shape God a little simpler so that it can be neater fit for their own lives. You know, as far as so many are concerned, we're in charge. We're everything. But the Philistines, they're discovering the holiness of God, aren't they, in that chapter? You know, I'm not sure they ever really got the point. They just got rid of the ark. They just said, you know what, this is too hard. Let's just move God on, Yeah. But the Israelites knew they were in covenant relationship with God. So when the ark of God appears, they start to cheer. They start to celebrate. Imagine if we were like that. Whenever we went for a drive, you're going for a drive, you're going to Bendigo, you're going to Mildura, you're going to Williamstown, you're going to the other side of the city, which is too far away once you pass West Footscray. Like it's just too, too far to drive. But imagine every time you passed a church where people of God were actually going to be meeting that you just started to celebrate. Amen. Then my God, then my brothers and sisters have a home to celebrate. Because as soon as they saw the ark, they started to celebrate. Imagine that you're out somewhere and you're shopping and someone sees a cross you're wearing or they go, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, I am. They go, me too. Imagine if you actually started to celebrate them and say, oh, I'm like, really? Where do you go to church? Oh, I don't so much now. Oh, really? Where did you used to? You should come along with me. Or oh, I actually go down the road. I love that church. They've got great ministers and pastors and priests. That's fantastic. Imagine if we celebrated the very thing that carried the presence of God like the Israelites did. Imagine if we celebrated that in a house where people have a difference of opinion. 
Because you can't celebrate them if you're fighting with them. And you can't fight with them if you're celebrating with them. Oh, that puts Christianity in a different light. Oh, that's really difficult because I don't like that person. He sucks. Well, maybe suck it up and be Jesus. Just a thought. Like, seriously, just a thought. There's so many churches. Right now, there's a church in Ballarat that without even finding out the, the truth behind it, someone said something, and so up to 40 people have packed up to go to another church on the belief of one conversation because they like him and they've heard what he's had to say, but none of them have actually gone back to find out if there was any truth in it. How about you celebrate that each and every one of you is carrying the presence of God and do some due diligence and be Jesus? Like just, I just imagine, I mean, I'd love to grow by 40 people. 40 people would fit right there. 40 people tithing, making $1,000 a week, $100 by 40. Oh, that'd be great. We'd have no debt. But the fact that that's had to happen in our city, I mean, part of our prayer time should be, Lord, no church splits. And whoever's spreading the rumour, even if it's their side of the story, be a Christian about it. Flip it, heck. You know what? It was really hard what happened to me. I didn't quite agree. But, you know, in my time there, God's done this, 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 and this, and this. I can't hold, them, hold it against them for this one thing that's hurt me. The one thing. Rather than, hey, let me share some of the one thing with you and with you and with you and with you. It's not the way to do it, is it? Jesus, Jesus saves. God is the potter and we are the clay. He shapes us. It's not the other way around. The Israelites knew that they were in a covenant relationship with God. So when the ark of God appears, they start cheering. Because they realised that something had been missing from their lives. The presence of God had been missing from their lives. And they start cheering because they see it coming back. If you start having an experience with God and all of a sudden God's fanning into flame that first love and you start to find yourself in tears and I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm actually enjoying going to church. I've been going to church for like 20 years but I've never really enjoyed it. I just went because I had to go but now when I go I really enjoy it and, and when I'm not there I'm so upset. Maybe just celebrate the fact that the presence of God, you've stepped closer so God's just stepped nearer. Because when we draw near to him, he draws near to us, amen? Perspective, I try to teach this to my boys all the time because I have to teach myself. But perspective is everything when it comes to Christianity. It's everything. And they knew they were missing something. And for you and I, if we've not been walking closely with the Lord, if there's something in our life that shouldn't be, something that needs to be cut out, then run to the Lord. Let him cut it out. Because I tell you, when you come to the Lord, when you go to him, when you get that thing right with Father God, there'll be joy in our heart again. And there's, we heard this morning, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord. I don't ever want to go to a church that is so boring. People will say, oh, it's just reverent. Okay, well then I must be irreverent because the God I know, he's funny. He, like, legitimately, he's funny. I look at some people walking down the street, I go, oh God, you had a sense of humour. No, I don't. No, I don't. 
Like, but he's funny. Like, he's just funny. It's, it's who he is. He's a God. Everything that is within us comes from him. There's joy in the house of the Lord, especially when the people of the Lord are allowing God to shape us and to make us. Because it's so sad. I've had so many conversations with Ross, but it's so sad that it seems to be as we not only mature in age, our faith, it shouldn't be because it's not an age thing, but we look back over the years and we look back over the ebbs and flows and we look over the trials and tribulations and we can see where God has used them all to make us who we are. We've allowed God, gotten to a place where now it's like God's just up to something again. God's using this season to do something. I don't know what it is. But 20 years ago, we'd be kicking and fighting. No, I don't want to go there. Please, Lord, no, no. Take this cup from me, you know. But not my will. Yours be done. That truth should encourage us all that Jesus alone saves. That he's the potter and we are the clay. And the Philistines, they just got it all wrong, didn't they? You know, they thought they were the potter. And sometimes I think we, because we have a relationship with God, we can even think that we're in charge. But just look at the bucket of lemons on the counter. Life throws stuff at us. I'm in charge of my own life. Really? Really? Well, good on you. Maybe tell life to take those lemons and put them back on the tree because I don't want them right now. Thank you very much. But life has this ability to bring stuff, to bring surprises, and to bring really nasty, ugly surprises. Because you and I, we are not in charge of our life. But in the midst of all that we go through, we can look to him and trust in him. We may still grieve, we may still mourn, we may still hurt, yeah? We may even share the tears with someone close to us. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus who's Lord and he's Lord of all. Yes, Jesus, Jesus. He's the only way. Jesus, Jesus, yeah? He alone saves. It's always him. You know, we've been made in his image. But notice how the world around us, the worldview and the the non-religious, the non-Christian worldview try to distort that image and turn it into something else. But thank God for the blessing that Jesus is. Because Jesus is the image of God. He is the exact representation of the Father, the one that we cling to. Amen? I love it in John 14, 9, where it says, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us, our holy God came to earth, this place. Our holy God came to earth. So we don't have to make models of tumours and rats, right? But we just need to know that Jesus has come. He's died on a cross. His blood was shed for us. He rose again from the dead so that you and I can be in right relationship with Father God. And he is shaping us through the perfect image of God, which is Jesus. Isn't that good news? Why do you look so sad? Did some of you eat those lemons before you came in? Like, that's good news. That's really good news. 
We just need to see that God is holy. We need to see that man's best efforts to reach up to a holy God always fails. Always fails. You know, I love it that we're a singing church. I love it that we sing as a church. I love that because we're worshipping God. It's so special. You know, let's sing. Let's worship him legitimately even more because he's worthy of our praise. He wants a joyful noise. Let's participate in the worship of our God. There's an exceptionally old hymn. Let's see if some of you remember, remember it. But here's the first stanza, the first verse. Immortal. This is, this is all our God. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. In light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Amen. Our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Our God is awesome. How many songs have been written about the holiness of God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think in just about every generation, there has been somebody that's written a song on the holiness of God. Because that's what the angels would be singing in heaven. Even Isaiah, when, when he was before the Lord and he said, I'm a man of filthy lips, he heard the singing of the seraphim going, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty. Dagon will always fall in the presence of our holy God. The issues that we confront, they are painful. It could cause us to grieve and to mourn and to cry and to run. But they will always fall when we turn to him. They may not fall the way that you imagine them to, but they will fall in the presence of our holy God because he is holy. Dagon keeps falling. God is victorious. Jesus is the only one who saves. Jesus is the only one who saves. Can I have the worship team up? We just need to finish with a, like, we need the people to smile. Smiling requires teeth. If you don't have teeth, it's because you're a Collingwood supporter. If you have teeth... If you have teeth, show them. I tried to teach that to my daughter, my youngest daughter, for years. Would smile, never see her teeth. But now she's grown in confidence and in love with the Lord and knows who she is in Christ. You see all of her pearly whites. Our God is awesome. He knows your name. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in Australia. You don't have to keep reminding people how terrible the world is. People know, don't they? People know, Lockie, how terrible some of the stuff is around the world today. Absolutely. You work in the uni, you see it firsthand. I don't think we need to tell people how terrible the world is. I just think we need to be spending more time with a holy and great God and letting people know how wonderful he is and show enthusiasm in the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord because he's a big God. <laughs> He's a holy God. I don't want to do what the Israelites did. I don't want to do it in my own way just because it suits my life. I don't want to have to look into the ark of the covenant when I know I should never have done it because his holiness was there. You and I know the lives that we should live and God's shaping us to live those lives. Let's stop being a people that keep trying to shape God to fit us because it's Jesus Jesus, he's the only way. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus, it's only him who saves. Amen. So 
we're going to try to sing this song because the greatest need in our country, right now, if you ask me, in this land, is to be restored into right relationship with Jesus. There is nothing more important. I know our health's important. I know getting through to tomorrow is important. I know getting rid of the pain that we feel is important. I know having our parents around for longer is important. I know seeing our children succeed is important. But I know this, there is nothing more important in all of our lives than being in right relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus, he's the only way. Jesus, Jesus, he's the one who saves. So... We're going to try to sing this. We, oh, are you on the drums? Awesome. Why don't you stand? We're going to finish with this song as a declaration. And I encourage you to sing it as a declaration for your life that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is the only way. Amen.